God's grace, his mercy, and his peace are yours through faith in Christ our Savior. Amen. Our sermon text is the gospel lesson, excuse me, the epistle lesson for today uh, from Romans chapter 8. Friends in Christ, Jesus teaches us to pray and lead us not into temptation. And in his small catechism, Luther answers the question, what does this mean? He says, God surely tempts no one to sin, but we pray that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our flesh may not deceive us or lead us into false belief, despair, and other great and shameful sins. And though we are tempted by them, we pray that we may overcome and win the victory. Win the victory. That's what St. Paul says in our, gospel, excuse me, in our epistle lesson. Paul says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So we are super victorious. We have prevailed against the enemy completely. We have defeated the other team and we have completely shut them out. They have no score. Now that phrase, more than conquerors, leads us back to another quote from Martin Luther. It's the words, it's the last words we just sang of that great Reformation hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And it tells us that, yes, because of God and Him who loved us, because of Jesus Christ who loved us, the kingdom's ours forever. Of course, this raises a couple of questions. What's the kingdom and who's the enemy? Well, again, Luther explains better than I could. From his small catechism, he writes, God's kingdom comes when our Heavenly Father gives His Holy Spirit so that by His grace we believe His Holy Word and lead a godly life now on earth and forever in heaven. That's the kingdom. So who's the enemy? Luther writes, God's will is done when He breaks and defeats every evil plan and purpose of, here's the enemy, of the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh. And why are they the enemy? Because they try to prevent us from keeping God's name holy and letting his kingdom come. Now, how can we be so confident that God will make us more than conquerors in our fight against the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh, who try to prevent us from keeping God's name holy and letting God's kingdom come? How can we be so confident that we are more than conquerors and that God's kingdom is ours forever? Well, we have our confidence from what St. Paul says in our text. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Indeed, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things along with him. So we are confident that God's kingdom is ours forever because God is for us. God is almighty. No one has greater power than God. And this all-powerful guide is for us. He's on our side. He wants to bless us with his favor. But God has more than power. God also loves 
His lost sinful creation. And God gave His one and only Son to us. God gave up His Son, Jesus, to a life of hardship on this earth and then a death of indignity. So since God gave us His Son, God will certainly, surely give us things that are less than His Son. God will give us everything we need to keep us in this life and to keep us in His kingdom and to win the victory over sin and death and Satan. Now our gospel lesson shows us one very important way in which God did not spare His Son, but gave Him up for us all. In our gospel lesson, St. Tell, Mark tells us that right after Christ's baptism, the Spirit immediately sent Jesus into the wilderness, and Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. So the kingdom's ours forever, because Jesus defeated Satan in the desert. Satan threw three tempting temptations at Jesus, but Jesus defeated Satan every time. So again, our confidence that we are more than conquerors rests in our superhero, Jesus Christ. And to explain Jesus and his victory over Satan, once again, we turn to Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It says, with might of ours cannot be done. In other words, if we try to do something spiritual, it's not going to happen. We're too weak. With might of ours is not, cannot be done, soon were our loss affected. In other words, we would be losers right away. But for us fights the valiant one whom God himself elected. You ask, who is this? Jesus Christ it is, the almighty Lord. And there's no other God. He, Jesus, holds the field forever. So how can this hymn verse be true? How can Jesus fight for us and give, give us God's kingdom forever? Well, again, St. Paul answers those questions. He says, Who will bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus, who died and more, more than that, was raised to life, and Jesus is the one who is at God's right hand and is also interceding for us. Paul pictures us standing in God's courtroom. And you and I know we are absolutely guilty. We have broken God's law. We have broken God's law here, there, and, and everywhere. We've taken God's Ten Commandments and smashed them and broken them to bits. And actually, there are more than Ten Commandments in all of the Bible. And we've taken those commandments and we've broken every single one of them over and over and over again. You and I have sinned. We have sinned deliberately. We sin all the time. We sin even when we don't know we're sinning. But even though that is all true, Paul says, who will bring an accusation against God's elect. In other words, since we're in God's courtroom, what are the charges? Or better yet, who will bring charges against us in God's courtroom? Now in God's courtroom, only God has the right to accuse us. But God has elected us. God has chosen us to be citizens of His kingdom forever. Now, you know, Satan might try, and Satan actually does try, to accuse you of your sins. But guess what? Satan, he does not have credentials. 
He does not have a standing in God's courtroom. If Satan showed his face in God's courtroom, God's bailiffs, the angels, would kick him out immediately. And likewise, your conscience does not have credentials. It does not have a standing in God's courtroom. Again, if your conscience tries to accuse you, God would kick your conscience out of his courtroom immediately. Only God gets to decide what happens in his own courtroom. So in the courtroom, does God accuse us? Well, listen again to our text. God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who condemns. And Christ Jesus died, and more than that, he was raised to life. And this Jesus, he is the one who is at God's right hand and who is also interceding for us. So again, God is the only one who can accuse us of sin. But God does not accuse us. He justifies us. God declares us not guilty. By God's eternal decree, we are innocent in God's courtroom forever. Now, that doesn't make sense. I mean, how can guilty sinners, filthy sinners like you and I, be declared not guilty, even though literally we are as guilty as sin? Well, again, God's Son is the judge. The judge on judgment day is the one who is also in God's courtroom. But the judge on judgment day, Jesus Christ, is also for us. And Jesus is for us so much, we know he died on the cross. Jesus is for us so much that he poured out his holy precious blood to wash away all of our sins. Jesus is for us so much that he conquered death by rising from the grave. And what is more than all of this, Jesus is our defense attorney in God's holy courtroom. Jesus intercedes for us. He pleads our case. He says to his heavenly Father, you cannot condemn these people, heavenly Father, because I already paid for their sins with my holy innocent life. So the, your anger from the law, the punishment that your law demands, your anger the law, the punishment, they've all been fulfilled. There's no, such, there's no double jeopardy in your courtroom, O Lord. So, Father, you have to declare them innocent. Wow. How, how amazing is God's love for us? And how powerful is Christ's assurance that we are forgiven and saved? Yes, indeed, the kingdom's ours. God's kingdom is ours forever. However, and there is always a however. However, even though we have no fears, no worries, no troubles, no doubts when it comes to our eternal salvation in God's courtroom, that does not mean that we will not have any problems or suffering or troubles here on this earth. After all, look at Jesus. He was 40 days in the desert without food he was tempted by Satan. By day, the blistering sun beat down upon him. At night, he had to endure the shivering cold. And although he was dearly, God's dearly loved son, Jesus suffered in the desert for those 40 days. But it didn't end at those 40 days. Jesus kept suffering on this earth. His whole ministry he suffered. So, who do we think we are? 
We are God's citizens. We are Christ's disciples. Of course we are going to suffer just like Christ did in this earth. And Paul mentions that in our text. Now, Paul puts a positive spin on it. There's a positive context in which he mentions our troubles, but he does mention our troubles. He says, What will separate us from the love of God or love of Christ? Will trouble? And trouble usually means pain to the body. Or will distress? And distress means that you're always put between a rock and a hard place. No matter what you do, you're going to be wrong and pay for it. Will trouble or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, or gun, or fists, or knives, whatever. Will any of these separate us from the love of Christ? No, just as it is written, For your sake, O Lord, we are being put to death all day long. We, God, your people, we are considered as sheep as to be slaughtered. In this life, like Christ did, we will have troubles. Unbelievers will hate us and mock us. Dearly loved family members will break our heart by rejecting Jesus and falling away from the one true faith. And we will suffer in our bodies just as Christ suffered in his body, especially during those 40 days in the wilderness. And you know what that feels like. Broken bones and knees and hips and shoulders that wear out and need replacing. COVID, the flu, sinus infection, allergies, diabetes, kidney failure, UTI, IBS, not to mention stress and depression, sleepless nights and gloomy days. And then there's, of course, those lovely family arguments, the overdrawn checking account, the unexpected car repair, exorbitant interest rates on loans like a car loan or a home loan or credit card debt, and the list of aches and pains and troubles and worries and things that just make this life awful. That list goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Oh, and by the way, did I, did I mention that even though the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh have already lost the battle to Jesus, they still do have power to tempt us? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, you deserve more than just daily bread. Ugh, how boring. No, you deserve to feast on the finest food forever. And no, you don't want the whole world, but you would like kind of a nice big slice of it. You would like uh, lots of money, a life of ease, the energy and the enthusiasm and the opportunity to do whatever your heart desires. And no, you're not going to throw yourself off the top of a 15-story building. Oh, but it's okay if you drive a little too fast and a little too recklessly. It's okay if you eat whatever you want and drink whatever you want, even though your bad health habits are slowly killing your body. And yeah, th that list of temptations, it goes on and on and on. But whenever you feel like you are losing the battle to sin, to the sinful world, to Satan, to your own sinful nature. Go back to these words of St. Paul. Meditate on these words of St. Paul. Memorize these words of St. Paul. And recite out loud these words of St. Paul. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, 
neither things present nor things to come, nor powerful forces, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, indeed, the kingdom is ours forever. Amen. Please rise. And now may the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.